Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One thing I've learned from this podcast is that everybody feels left out in some way. And that on its own is a universal experience that has nothing to do with race and it has nothing to do with gender. That's what's been surprising to me because I always thought that in those moments I felt that way because I was a woman or because I was Asian or because I was shorter or because I was older, I was younger. And everyone just feels that way. It doesn't really matter what your upbringing was or what your background was. There's something about the human experience that feels lonely on one side, but also desperately wants to feel connected on the other. And we don't always have the tools or the experience to allow us to be because our experiences have been so different. And so by listening to these conversations, I've found a way to forgive myself in those moments. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Hey, Roman. Hey, Sharon. You know what? You finally watched Warrior, and we're going to change this podcast to be a Warrior Rewatch podcast? Uh, nope. (laughs) Then what is it, my old friend? It is better than that. It's our hundredth episode. Uh, sure. Yeah? How are you about to burst my bubble now? Yeah, this is not actually our 100th episode. <laughs> no, I'm looking here in all our fancy podcasts, analytics, and Google Docs and spreadsheets, and it says right here that this is our 100th episode. Okay, technically it kind of is, but... Don't ruin this for me, Remen. Okay, look, there have been 100 episodes of Modern Minorities showing up for listeners since we first launched, but... But nothing. It's our 100th episode. No, no, no. But some of those were bonus episodes when we aired conversations from our other podcasts and we needed a break. And my personal favorite was putting some iconic modern minority voices like John Lewis and Ruth Bader Ginsburg to our sweet, sweet theme song. Oh, man, I really love those. We should do something else with those. I'm thinking merch. Yeah. Yeah. Because no one else wants to see our beautiful faces on stickers and T-shirts. I love I love our faces, Roman. What do you have against our faces? But I they... just think RVG and Prince's faces <laughs> will look way better on someone's laptops. So That's true. I'll get, I'll get to work on that. Okay, fine, whatever. But we have been doing this podcast for a while. Those are words, yes. And we've had some great conversations. Those are also facts, yes. <laughs> and this is technically now our third season Okay, hang on. Do podcasts actually need seasons? Because that's kind of bullshit. I mean, it's this kind of like a week-to-week relationship we're building with our listeners. And, you know, why? Hush, hush, hush. We should totally just do something special for our listeners. It's been like over a year. We've recorded something like 100 episodes. They've been hanging with us for a long time. They deserve something. 
I feel like I'm about to get a lot more editing work to do. Nah. Check this out. Hey, Brandon. Oh, hi. Hello. <laughs> Why, it's friend of the pod and my longtime podcasting brother from another mother, Brandon Dawson, host of The Distiller, my favorite and best sounding and still not back yet podcast that everyone else <laughs> needs to be listening to. Oh, thank you. Yes, they can listen to the old episodes while we get it restarted. But thank you. It's good to be here. And I wanted uh, to talk to both of you about something. About how awesome the hit TV show Warrior is? No, no, no. Stop, stop. We asked Brandon to be here to have a conversation. But um, Sharon, uh, come over here for a second. Brandon's not a minority. Remin, shame on you. Some of our best friends are white and men. (laughs) (laughs) And Brandon happens to be arguably one of the best independent podcast voices out there. I had to pull a lot of strings to get him here. If by pulling a lot of strings, you mean we send up a text and he's a really good dude, virtually a mensch. Uh, But come on, dude. I mean, haven't people heard more than enough stuff about us? Well, come on. I mean, I think there's a lot that we can talk about. And this just gives me a chance, first of all, to tell you to be quiet and let somebody else talk for a minute. So uh, for the next 40 minutes, we're going to be leaving your cheesy script behind because I'm the captain now. Oh Look at that. It only took 100 episodes for someone else to tell Remin to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm game. Yeah, all right. We are at your mercy, man. <laughs> all right. Well, at the risk of starting off with cliches, I just want to start off with getting both of your perspectives on whether you have a favorite episode. You've got 100 episodes now, which is no small feat. Honestly, that's a big deal. So looking back, I want to start off with the standard question and just ask you both, like, what is your favorite of those 100 episodes? My favorite, I've got so many. The first thing that popped into my head was the one we did with Peggy and Marcha about how their lives intersected and how they found out that their ancestors were both on the same plantation at the same time on Mm. opposite sides of the coin. Wow, wow. And why is that? I mean, obviously, it's an amazing conversation and amazing subjects, but what stands out that makes that one your favorite? I think it was just, it's one of those things where the notion that two people could come together today, really serendipitously, is that, a, is that I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, was really amazing. But I also think that in many ways, they were so great with how they told that story. And mm. it was such a pleasure to hear each of their sides and literally the journey that they went through to get to know each other. But then also all of the layers that went along with that, you know, from Peggy's side of really digging into what her family had been through as slaves on the plantation and, and her own feelings about that. And then from Marcha's side, the guilt that she was feeling of even having met someone many generations, um, forward from what her ancestors had sort of led and just how the two of them just have become such great friends from that experience. Yeah. I mean, you guys have hosted and fostered so many amazing conversations. That's just one of them. And I could go on and on about what amazing work I think you're doing with the show. That's a great example. Raman, do you have one that comes to mind as your favorite? I mean... I love all my children. No, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's like the the more macro, like the thing we're setting out to do is like, you know, empathy and understanding, hearing other people's stories. But if I'm being honest, 
like the perk of now i read a rolling stone article about this really awesome female asian producer producing a weezer album or you hear a pod save america episode about a politician who's changing the face of community policing in this country or you read a graphic novel by someone that just really moves you and then we can send that email like mm-hmm. if I just sent the email as Rubbin the dude, I'm kind of a creep who wants a coffee. But <laughs> if I'm like, but we have a podcast and it's been featured like that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to say those are my most favorite episodes, but like on the surface, getting to talk to people I admire is such a treat for me. And oh my god, like that's if if this podcast only accomplished if I can't solve the racism thing, if I just get to talk to cool people because. I've loved those conversations and the Peggy and Marcia thing's another one. Like my wife and I were driving around and we heard an NPR story about it. And I just quickly made a note and I was just like, damn, I want to, I want to learn more about that. So it's just the ability to do that has just been the most fun thing. And then honestly, people we meet along the way that I never would have thought to talk to. Like, I just, I think if more people did that, we'd be better off and I don't know. So it's an, it's, it's just a self-betterment exercise, this whole podcast. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. I've said a lot of times my show is just a completely selfish way for an introvert to get out and meet new people and not have it yeah. seem creepy. So I absolutely understand that. Okay. So the flip side of the coin, maybe these are the same ones. Maybe they're not. But what conversations have you had on the show that have been the most challenging for you? either that you were nervous to get into or that when you got into it, you found that maybe the conversation stirred some stuff up, whatever it means to you. What are the conversations that you look back and sort of have an emotional reaction to and think, man, I, I didn't know that I was going to get through that one. I think for me, it's the two that have really kind of gotten the most listens over the last year. And, and one is the one we did about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was called uh hate as a virus. I think that was the title of it, but that one really took off as well. And I think those were two really difficult ones because they were very personal in nature. And we were talking about topics that are, uh, that were still very relevant, but at the time very raw and there were tears involved or there was anger that we had expressed. And those were opportunities where Remen and I really got real in a way that we don't often get to do because we're the ones asking the questions and so, some, so a lot of it was us sharing our own personal perspectives about things and then also um, sort of debriefing with friends about it live. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it goes without saying, it's been a really weird fucking year and a half, almost two years now. Yeah. But, you know, there have been a couple moments where like, I'll use the insurrection's a great example. The insurrection at the Capitol happened and I texted Sharon and she was like, I can't talk about this. Like, you know, there have been those moments where we choose not to record and is that a missed opportunity? Sure. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like the slow burn of the show every week, we haven't recorded that much in the past few months since I've been off with the birth of our, our second kid on my side. But like, we've been missing that. It's it's almost like the the excuse for Sharon and I to touch base. And some of these episodes air months after, right? They've been recorded. But in the moment they're recorded, the shit in the world is happening right now. And I, I feel like I personally bring all of my baggage to every episode and just use it for free therapy. Um, (laughs) there's usually a guest that says something that triggers something if it's something from my past about being a kid that didn't fit in in a place where they didn't look like everyone else or the the sheer terror of being a parent like i'm bringing all of that with me pretty much to every episode uh because again this is free therapy 
yeah. that's really what this whole thing is. Yeah. Do you feel like it's changed how you both, I mean, you start off and you, and I wasn't there when you had the original idea for the podcast, but I can kind of assume, hey, this would be a great idea. I've heard you talk a little bit about how the show started and how the two of you met and people can find that in other interviews. But you start off with one idea like, okay, great. We're going to start a, a, a podcast and we're going to have these conversations with people about what it means to be a minority in America today. And you might even have an idea of who's going to listen to those and who is going to be most attracted to the show. And then after a hundred episodes, I've got to imagine that a lot of those ideas have changed both about why you do it and what you think it's going to accomplish and who you think is listening. What has surprised you most in these hundred episodes about why you were doing it, what you were going to get out of it and why you're still doing it? today i mean the secret plan always was to get white people to listen to this straight up like i'm sorry sorry not sorry like and it was just white people it was our majority brains and i apply my majority brain a lot like i know i'm too much of a dude i know i'm too straight i'm too whatever like i i live in my majority privileged bubble a lot and the moments of growth and change for me are when i'm taken out of it Um, And so kind of like the design target, Sharon and I are both evil marketers by like we were raised as them was that. (laughs) And honestly, the people who write, the people who leave reviews are um, people in the majority. And it's been surprising to see that hypothesis bear out, not just us being the minority show, right? With, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with Asian people, with black people, that's been surprising to see that that hypothesis actually worked. Um, I don't know if it still will. I don't know if the show will grow enough, but we do know like when Sharon and I break the interview mold and we start to have a really, so that's been the other surprise. The time we're like, fuck it. We just need to talk and record. This shitty thing is happening. That's what catches fire. And I don't think I, I have the emotional bandwidth to do that on a weekly basis, but, um, that's been surprising that there's been a lot of pickup and support across the board when we do stuff like that. What about you, Sharon? Same. Like, When we first thought of this, I was interested because I selfishly just wanted to shine a spotlight on anyone who was living an experience that was different than mine so that Mm -hmm. I could learn more about that and maybe work through some of my own judgments or observations or perspectives about things. And I went in and I was like, great, we're going to sit down with Brandon Dawson and ask him a bunch of questions and learn about what his life is like. And then we're going to meet with some cool celebrities like Margaret Cho and find out what she went through to get to where she is. And what I've learned is people care about those conversations, but they actually really care about me and Remen mm-hmm. and our perspective. And I never like, you know, it's funny, like even, even, th- even something like choosing cover art, right? Like I've always been okay with my face being on stuff or my name being on stuff. Remen's a lot more private believe it or not, you guys. (laughs) And like, neither of us wanted to do this as something where we would be so central to it, you know? And even though I'm open in many ways, I still am very private. Like I'll talk about things, but I, I still kind of do it with a little bit of a filter, knowing that this is being recorded and knowing that in 10 years, somebody might find it and play it again. And, and it's been interesting to learn that actually that's what people are sticking around for. You know, they're sticking around because they're genuinely following our conversations. And maybe there's something that we have said about our own personal lives that they really can relate to, or that they're learning as we are, as we're listening to these conversations. And that's been 
really gratifying. And it just, it's interesting. It makes me feel so much more connected to the why of all of this. Like mm. the why felt selfish before, but it's almost like now that people are with us in it, the why feels a lot less selfish because it feels like as a community, we're all moving towards something together. Yeah. Well, somebody told me a long time ago just about the power of vulnerability in storytelling. And I think one of the things that we learn as we grow is that even if I haven't experienced the same thing as you, I can always draw an analogy to it. It's always analogous to something that I've experienced. Everybody's experienced feeling like an outsider. Everybody's experienced feeling understood. And so generally the stories that we tell can always find a, a landing mm -hmm. place, especially if we make them personal and real, somebody's always going to be able to identify whenever they've felt that same emotion. I think one of the things that's been the most surprising to me, I, the first time that we talked, and Raman, I think you were the one that mentioned to me that you had always imagined it being a majority audience and a white audience, if you want to say it that way. One of the things that really surprised me was when I've heard both of you talk about your experience growing up. And Sharon, you mentioned in another interview, growing up and essentially thinking that you were white, like identifying as white yeah. um, because of the world that you lived in. And that made me think a lot about the identities that we take on when we're little and how those form important parts of who we are. I'd be really interested to hear both of you talk about how you feel like the show, hosting the show and having these conversations on a regular basis has actually changed your conception of yourself and if it has at all, but some of those identifications that we bring from an early age about where we are, Roman, you use the phrase, the majority mind, everybody occupies a majority mind in some setting and a minority mind in some setting, even me, like, you know, prototypical white guy, like there are times where I feel in the minority and there are times where I feel like I don't fit in and hearing these discussions with both of you has made me embrace those more and identify with those more and identify with people that are completely different from me more because we share those things. Anyway, mm -hmm. I would love to hear both of you talk about how hosting the show has challenged or or formed or changed your conceptions of yourself and how you fit into the majority mind or the minority mind and how you even think about those parts of your identity. I think most Americans and this is maybe our majority privilege reign speaking, most Americans don't want to talk about race. It's okay. Like, I'm uncomfortable talking about it. I, uh, even Asian people, we want to kind of like blend in and assimilate and just kind of do our thing. And I think it started, but even before this podcast, when the serious girlfriend who would become my wife, who's now mother of our children, uh, we found ourselves both Asian and talking a lot more about race and being Asian. And I found that really interesting. And then a handful of my non-white friends, which are in the minority, believe it or not, um, but one of them is Sharon, and we talked about a year or two before this podcast started, and it unearthed a conversation. Then we obviously got this podcast going, and then every week we're talking with a Hispanic guy, a Muslim mm -hmm. girl, a gay person, and then uh, the shitty events of the past year. Were, shitty events were always happening, but the whole world decided to wake up. So it's on my mind a lot more, and I, I, I was on a Zoom with a bunch of old high school friends and they knew me, and these are all white friends, uh, some who listen to the show. And I think they were all taken aback by how kind of pseudo activist around race I was becoming in my voice and the things I was saying. And I think it's this show. 
like straight up like i think the design of this show like we record for a while we were recording like two or three episodes a week because we wanted to do like these recording sprints so we're having these like intense conversations about people's minority experiences and i don't know if that's a good thing (laughs) i've had a few months like almost away from this show uh with some dabbling in and out of it right as we get ready for this season three it's been an intense experience, I guess is what I'd say. I've become a lot more um, uh, racially oriented, <laughs> not intentionally so. Um, I mean, I don't know, Sharon. Productively so. Productively so. You're not like sitting in a room ranting and raving and getting angry about it. You're, right. You're, <laughs> or, not, or if not, you are, at least it's on a microphone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're not hurting anybody. <laughs> well, what about you, Sharon? Because you're married to a black guy. Like, has that in the events of this year and this, these weekly conversations do you think about it more or less or about the same? Because you've been in it a little more than me. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I don't know. It's hard to say, like, there's no real A-B test, right? If I get nerdy about it, like, it's hard to say how much I would care about this if we didn't have a podcast, because in many ways, the world didn't wake up to this until after the podcast started. So it all kind of happened at the same time. Um, I definitely am much more aware of race, and culture and also just intercultural communication and microaggressions and things like that. I think that one thing, it's almost the opposite for me of what has happened because I grew up, as you guys know, deep in Chinatown, you know, really being immersed in the culture, at least with the community around me. And I always felt comfortable there and I always felt othered in the majority realm. I think one thing I've learned from this podcast is that everybody feels left out in some way mm-hmm. and they have and that on its own is a universal experience and that has nothing to do with race and it has nothing to do with gender yeah. and i think that's what's been surprising to me because i always thought that in those moments i felt that way because i was a woman or because i was asian or because whatever you know because i was shorter or because i was skinnier or because i you know whatever it may have been I was older, I was younger. And everyone just feels that way. It doesn't really matter what your upbringing was or what your background was. It's There's something about the human experience that feels lonely on one side, but also desperately wants to feel connected on the other. And I think that's what I've learned from all of this is that the humanity of it is that we do want to be connected as much as we can. And we don't always have the tools or the experience to allow us to be because our experiences have been so different. And so by listening to these conversations, I have found a way to sort of forgive myself in those moments when I walk into a room and I'm like, oh, this is yucky. You know, if I start to feel anxiety, I start to think actually everyone else in this room probably feels the same way on some level. Hmm. And that's helped me to be much more connected with people from all backgrounds and um, all experiences. This podcast has made me hungrier. Oh, well, yeah, that too. We talk a lot about food. No, I mean, it's like, and it's a throwaway <laughs> question at the end and it's a fun favorite one, but like, I find myself thinking more about, yeah, I really do fucking like Vietnamese food. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, and, and I also find my real favorite question is when people don't like food, I'm like, yeah, fuck that. Like, why would you like that food? Or how dare you not like that? Like, and it's, it's not just about the food, but it's like this, I mean, we all eat, right? We all have taste in food pun intended and we have really deep feelings about things and food is a very surface level thing but it's this like commonality and 
I don't mind that we disagree. Like, Joe Medved, I'm sorry that we disagree on pizza or cheese, but like at the same time, I'm okay with that. Like, I embrace that because I like him for other reasons too. And I would like us to outline our differences more and more and more. But so much of our relationship to food is directly tied to identity, which is, I think, why a lot of even cooking shows are great expressions of the diversity that exists within like cross-cultural interactions and stuff like that. I think about somebody like Anthony Bourdain, who used food repeatedly as an entree into an exploration of how we're different and how we're the same and how those things are beautiful. So like... On the one hand, it's very pedestrian, like, yeah, we all have to eat. On the other hand, like, in some ways, there's nothing more personal than the food that we choose to eat and what we grew up with. That's why I love your speed round question at the end that you ask about what people... I don't think that's a lighthearted question at all. I think it's actually an entree into what's sometimes most important to people and like where the central pieces of their identity are that go back to their childhoods and stuff. I think that's important stuff. I almost wonder if we should ask that mom dish question at the front of the episode. Like, Hmm. because you can go really deep. Like, if you're asking it in the end, it's kind of a throwaway, fun, delicious thing. Yum. But if you ask at the beginning, we could, like, go so deep and, like, tell me about when your mom first made chana patura or the time your uncle was in the hospital and your mom made it in the hotel. You know, like, whatever. Like, there's so many stories around food. Um, Well, and you want to see somebody's face light up and see their guard let down. And some of what we're doing anytime that we're interviewing people you and I've talked about this, Roman, is that idea of sort of getting behind somebody's public narrative or getting behind the story they think they want to tell to the story that's really inside of them. And food is an amazing way to do that. Anytime I, I travel, if I can, and if I'm not eating like at a restaurant, I'll ask somebody like, what's the dish? What's the mom dish? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And can I have it and tell me what's nostalgic for you about this? And Sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it's disgusting, but it's never (laughs) without a great story. You Um, know, Brandon, so when we were designing this show, we met through mutual friends because I asked on like a message board about some blah, blah, blah podcast editing thing. And then I discovered your show and your show, when it was live, you would record in restaurants and -hmm. there was all that noise and that lived in thing. And I remember when Sharon and I, you know, we already done a few test recordings and we're trying to find like rooms to record in, in New York. But all of my podcasts launched in a pandemic where everything is remote. Yeah. And, you know, and I've met so many podcasting professionals who record live or use their Zoom H4 or Zoom H6 or whatever Mm -hmm. the the tech devices. And they're so eager to get back to a room. But at the same time, and I, I, I want that texture, right, to the reality of a conversation. But the new world we live in is like so many conversations are remote on the phone, on Zoom. Yeah. You know, we turn cameras off for these interviews, and I like staring at the wall and looking at a map while I talk to people because it, <laughs> and I found guests tend to get more in their head. I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, yeah, I don't anything that puts you in that moment that contextualizes you that way. There are two things that came out of that I just scribbled down while the two of you were talking, and one of them was the idea of capacity. Roman, you were talking about how exhausting so often these conversations can be. And how living in the reality of conversations about race every single day can be overwhelming. And I think there were two questions that came out of hearing you talk about that. One was, do you feel like your capacity for these conversations and for sort of holding space for the difficulty and the need to have these conversations has increased over time? Do you feel that's the case or do you feel like you get fatigued by it and sometimes you just need to turn away from it and focus on something that's not so heavy? It's been both. 
when things were really heating up with Black Lives Matter leading up to the election, like a lot of that time period when COVID was kind of at its height and there was just a lot of fear, mm-hmm. it was really exhausting because, because in some ways we had to have a voice in all of that. Like we were getting approached by other podcasts or other storytellers wanting Raman and I to participate either on panels or to have an opinion about things. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when you're going through it yourself and you're trying to process it for yourself and then having to come in front of other people and find a way to help them process it. So it's the whole putting the mask on yourself first before helping other people. And I think in those moments when everything just felt like it was just one thing after another, it was hard to find our footing, at least for me. It was kind of hard to process that. But it's been almost three months now that we've been on a hiatus because one of us had a baby or one of us wives had a baby. Um, And what I've noticed over the last three months is my life has felt very empty (laughs) without these conversations. Like these conversations give me so much inspiration. And so even though it is sometimes hard to turn on the mic and to hold the space for people because it is very emotionally draining at times, I always walk away having learned something new or thinking about something in a different way. And that to me is so valuable. So the payoff is, is, is much greater, I think, than the cost. I keep making the therapy joke, but like I sometimes will use this podcast to kind of work through my demons or stress or anxiety of what's happening in the now. And it doesn't come out in like a direct question, but it comes out in the direction of my question asking, right? Um, and I, um, my other comic book podcast, my, my co-host Ryan and I, it's literally just we drink and talk about comics, right? And it's a fun weekly thing we do, even through like baby stuff. We've been more or less trying to find ways to creatively get it done. And we have this saying between us, like when it starts to feel like work, that's when we know this isn't a fun podcast. Hmm. And there are some, <clears throat> I probably shouldn't say this, but there are some guests. <laughs> it just kind of feels like work. Oh, clock it in to interview the person because that's a thing that we got to do. And Usually we can like drive the conversation to whatever therapy driven, anxiety driven agenda, like of the, of the week of the moment. But when we can't do it and it just feels like, okay, you're just telling me the story. Like, I guess you got to do it, but and we've chosen not to air some of those. Sorry, not sorry. Those people probably aren't listening. Um, but like, I don't like it when it feels like work. I like it when I can bring my whole self to a recording and it will drain me. But it's like exercise. I'll get something mentally or emotionally from it, and I'll walk away tired. But then later that night, I'll be reflecting, or a couple weeks later when I'm doing the edit, like I'll be like, wow, I'm really glad we had that moment where we awkwardly talked about that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just an excuse to have those. And again, it's just like you don't need a podcast to do it. It's just become kind of like the, the forcing function for us to do it for ourselves. It's just as much for us as it is yeah. for the audience or the guest, I guess. Well, I think that's interesting that you just said you don't have to have a podcast to do it because I don't know if I'm skilled enough to bring this out of people casually. Like I think that there's something really interesting about putting someone in front of a mic and saying to them, we'd like to speak to you for an hour or 45 minutes and for them to know that you'll be asking them maybe some pretty personal questions or that you may have Googled them and have certain things about them that you know coming into the conversation. People open up 
in a much different way when they know that they're on the spot to do that. And what's been interesting to me is to watch them open up in a very authentic way. And I think that's what you're talking about, Remen. Like when we get someone who's highly media trained, like they're bulletproof, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, tell me a story from your childhood. Well, when I ran for president in sixth grade, <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> tell me a different story right, that you haven't right. told a thousand times. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's almost this interesting thing. Like I do wonder if I were out in a bar today, which I don't know when that's going to happen again, but when we get together again in person with our friends, if our conversations are going to be more meaningful because now I have that experience of asking better questions. Well, I think also that people are self-conscious about talking about themselves too much. And so even if you express the kind of interest to somebody that would elicit that depth of a conversation in a public setting, I think people are very often either, sometimes I think it's, it's too personal and too shy, but I think it's also just generally too respectful. How many times have you been at a party or somewhere in the past and had somebody say, well, you know, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. I don't want to just talk about myself. And very often I'm like, no, I'm loving this. Keep talking about yourself. I'm very interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. And so being able to create a space for somebody to do that where they don't feel that they're being selfish is also kind of a gift to give to somebody to be able to say, no, answer the number of times that people on my show have said, well, you know, long story short. And I'm like, no, tell the long story. That's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want is I want all the detail. We had a guest ask us recently, and this during this hiatus, we're still airing episodes that we pre-recorded. And we had a guest uh, email me and was like, can I actually have the, the file? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. And, you know, we you can use AI transcription and... They're like, yeah, I just want to save it for later. It's the kind of like our podcast, like who knows, Skynet could explode and it might not exist. But they're like, <laughs> I kind of want to have it to listen to. And again, this podcast is rooted in like a lot of conversations with friends I recorded and transcribed. Sharon was one of them um, a couple of years ago before I turned 40. And I think there's some power to that. Like, am I scared of like an AI bot deep faking my voice because there's like thousands of hours of me talking? <laughs> sure. I actually <laughs> am scared of that. But I, what I'm actually more happy about like with my parents like it's hard to get stuff out of my dad or mom other than the same old stories right and my daughter and my son 20 years from now can go listen to this body of work that of dad talking to a bunch of people that's that's really interesting to me and i love that the guest wanted the conversation for that kind of like thank you oh i really appreciate you doing that i I want to keep it for later yeah it's a document of a moment in time and of an important conversation and i think about that whole the anytime that I get overwhelmed with, and I, and I do, I'll be completely honest. Like there are periods that you go through where maybe it's less now because we're all stuck at home, but where you're dealing with these issues where you're finding yourself having like so many conversations about whether it be the environment or conversations about race and about heavy things. And you're like, man, I just need a break. I need to take a break for a second. And I think, frankly, I don't want to speak for all white people, but I think like for a lot of white people, the challenge of getting really deeply into conversations about race is that it's just not something they have a lot of capacity for and a lot of muscle developed around without feeling paralyzed and hopeless. And I try to remain aware that it's a privilege to be able to turn off that, that a lot of people don't have, that if I'm 
you know, a black man in America today, I don't get to have the privilege of turning off the conversation about race because it's literally in front of my face every time I go outside. Yeah. So I feel privileged to be able to, and a, and a sort of privilege that I want to remain very cognizant of because of so many people don't have the privilege to not have so many conversations be about race. It makes me wonder whether having these conversations for the two of you is making you, I mean, we've been through a difficult time, a difficult couple, three, four, five years about the intensity of the race conversations in the United States. And then through a really shitty 18 months, all of us together, regardless of where you come from. Are you hopeful about these conversations now? Is the fact that you're having so many of these conversations and being able to do so in a way that people are getting to listen to, is it creating hope in you or is it creating maybe more of an awareness uh, that we're not making enough progress? I, I well, Sharon, I want to go first because I'm I'm almost positive I'm going to give you the negative answer. So we I should knew let it. Sharon I was, go with the positive. I was going to invite you to go first for that reason. <laughs> I'm not confident, Brandon. Sorry, like this is without revealing numbers. Like this, we are making waves in our own little pond, and I'm very happy to continue to do that because it does something for me and it does something for our guests and our listeners seem to like it. <sighs> But I mean, go read the headlines. I don't think it's going to change. I think worse shit has to happen for shit to change. But I can feel good that I use my free creative passion, energy, whatever you want to call it, to affect my little pond. And if this gets picked up, if, you know, and again, the, the, the confidence, the optimism is the few moments we've gone like very directly staring into the face of the shit. Um, mm-hmm. Those people that listen to us the, the episode listen goes up by an order of magnitude because those people who do listen to us, they're like, oh, this is the one that I'm going to share with my community. Right, right. Like that's been just looking at the numbers. I'm like, whoa, why is this like 10x more? Oh, it's because it's it's not just talking to Margaret Cho. It's not just talking to, you know, Svante Myrick or Mira Jacob or whatever. It's, oh, they really went deep and unapologetically and they put it in the episode title we're going to talk about Asian hate. We're going to talk about black lives, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've given ourselves the platform and the license. And, you know, I'm realistic about how big is our community, but wow, I'm just really, that's the one thing that like our pond can make bigger ripples if we use it judiciously, but is it changing it? No, but I, it's kind of like a, a mosaic. Like I, I think there's a lot of people uh, and we've met a lot of those podcasters who are doing similar things um, and we're partnering and we're comparing notes with them. So I don't know. I feel like a little piece, but I, I don't think this alone does anything. I don't know, Sharon. Pull me out. <laughs> you're so, oh gosh, I love you, but <laughs> you're such a downer. <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. I feel the opposite. <laughs> and that is why I show up time and time again. And I think, Roman, deep down inside, I'd like to believe that you too know that we are making a difference, even if it is in some ways a small way. But I think it's these small things that add up to big change. And I think the world is changing. So I don't know if I can say that modern minorities alone has changed the world. No, it hasn't. But I think that as a global society, we've become much more aware of the impact that we're having on each other and how our own perceptions are impacting how other people are being treated. And I don't think that this was as 
openly talked about before, and it was not a topic of discussion Hmm. as publicly before. So we've stumbled upon something that allows us to have a platform that ignites these conversations and hopefully does inspire change. And for me, signs that it's working is when I, I teach a lot of classes and mainly they've been on Zoom and virtual lately. But recently, very recently in the last couple of weeks, when I mentioned that I co-host a podcast called Modern Minorities, which a year ago when I first said it, everyone was like, hey, that's cool. Where can I find it? Now people are saying, I love your podcast. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're listening. And who knows? Maybe it just happens that like the people that are listening are also signing up for my classes because they're just the same people. They, could <laughs> they want be. extra could credit be. from teacher. <laughs> yeah. could be the same five people. But that alone has made me see that at least even if it is just those five people, even if it is just your sister, Raman, and just my sister and my cousin-in-law, um, Teresa, right? Like we have our core little group that we always joke about that are our core fan base. Even if it's really just five or 10 people that are tuning in every single week, that's still five or 10 people that hadn't been listening before. And maybe they're going out in their own communities and impacting another five or 10 people. Thankfully, we do have a more than 10 listeners. Otherwise, we wouldn't continue this. <laughs> yeah, this isn't quarantine um, comics, guys. Come on. Like, this is, <laughs> we're, we're like, we're easily uh, tier C or like C list, you know, podcasters. <laughs> All right. Last question before we start to wrap up. It's 100 episodes. Like I said, that's if you look at the statistics for the number of podcasts that are in the Apple podcast listing that have less than 10 episodes, I think it's something like 98% of shows that are out there. So yeah, there's one called Model Minorities that totally sucked by these other guys. <laughs> I'm kidding. We want those guys on the show. They, they seem like really nice dudes. By Crushed the them. But here's here's my question for you at episode 100. What do you want to change? What do you want to do that you haven't done yet? And it can just be a goal of something that you want to accomplish. And I'm not talking about we want to increase. I mean, obviously, you want to increase listenership numbers. I mean, in terms of what you're doing from a mission perspective, are there pivots that are coming? Are there things that you've learned that you envision changing? What are you going to do and what do you want to change that 50, 100 episodes from now, people are going to look back and go, oh, they they shifted, they tightened things up, they focused in a little bit. What can we all expect to come in the next 100 episodes of Modern Minorities? I want to go deeper with the topics that we're covering. And I want to also bring more people in. Hmm. And I don't know what that means yet. Like, I don't know if that means we show up in a room and people are actually there too in person and we do something live. Mm, mm-hmm. Or if that means we host an event and we invite some really cool speakers and and get people involved that way. But I want this to be bigger than just an episode that they can listen to on Spotify. I want this to be a much bigger platform that actually creates real change. And we're it's been interesting because we've been talking to other people in this space and brainstorming. And I guess now that I'm putting that out there as a desire, if anyone's listening and you have any ideas, we'd love to hear them because this was always meant to be more than just a 45 minute conversation. So I'm excited to see what can happen in the next hundred episodes. Love it. I I got one word for you. Stickers. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, It's just like this like weird obsession. Like my laptop has like stickers from the Southern Poverty Law Center from this like Cubano place in Miami I like from Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, like this startup I used to work at. And stickers 
as a function of like badging. Like even when I was like in high school, I had band logos drawn on my textbook book covers. You know, I had stickers on my notebooks of bands or comics that I liked. And it's not just about building a brand. Um, I joke about this, but I legitimately want to do this for a bunch of reasons. And we'll give them away to people. I don't give a shit. But it's this, um, Sharon kind of said the five people that listen, they go out and they have a conversation. But those five people that listen, or those 10 people, 500, whatever the number is, like they, they, they're willing to badge themselves with something that's willing to be, it's kind of like when I walk into a, when I used to go to parties, I would wear like a Fantastic Four t-shirt. And people would be like, oh, what's that? Like it was just a four on your shirt. Is that some skater thing? Like, oh no, let me tell you about Marvel's first family, right? Like, how do we make this? This is a very ethereal kind of digital only thing, but like, how do we IRL this? Be that an event? Be that speaking at some thing? Sure, but like, how do we make this more tangible and actionable? Where we're doing stuff with it. For every sticker, we'll donate money to whatever. Um, like I see Pod Save America raising money for Stacey Abrams. I'm like, yeah, that. Like, yeah. how do you affect tangible change, not just speaking into a mic and, and seeding ideas? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, in, it, your initial responses seem completely different, but you're both talking about exactly the same thing, obviously, which is taking it more seriously, making more of a change. Raman, you're saying stickers, but stickers is a way to build a brand that people can share, that gets it out there, that expands the platform. And I hear both of you very clearly saying more of an impact, more change. The first thing you said, Sharon, I want to take it deeper. Yeah. That's, that's great. We want to create a movement and we're going to do it with stickers to start. Yeah. But mostly <laughs> stickers, mostly just stickers. Mostly yes. stickers. Oh, I love it. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I do just want to say I love what you're doing. There are a lot of things out there that people can go to that white guys like me can go to try and get educated on this um, so many of us have sort of made the mistake of asking the Our target audience is really white girls, Brandon. I'm just to be clear. Sorry. <laughs> I the feel Karen, left the, out. The I Karen's feel so the, marginalized. The Karens Aww. of the world, really. <laughs> oh God. No, but I mean it can be difficult to find places to talk about these things without A, just not having an entry point, or B, without asking the people of color in your life to be sort of responsible for your enlightenment. And this is a great place to be able to listen to these conversations and learn you're doing a great service, you're doing good work, and the show's only getting better and better. And I want to thank you for continuing to do it, even through all the curveballs that life continues to throw at us all. Come to us for enlightenment. Exactly. I'm, I'm here. All right. Now, listen, you subject all of your guests to these questions. I'm going to subject you to the speed round. I hope you're both ready. Buckle your seatbelts. No one's ever ready for speed round, Brandon. That's, that's where we round, are. Speed all right. Round. What's the one thing about you nobody expects? Okay. So I, I, I said on, I think this was our intro episode that we first recorded that I was a shoplifter when I was in high school. <laughs> However... So for those of you who heard it, that's no longer new. Another thing about me that no one expects is that I am obsessed with The Sims, the video game. And oh, I've wow. been playing this game for probably 30 years now. And I love it. And I still have it at home. And my kids know that when mommy's playing Sims, they leave me alone. It's like the most ridiculous thing. But I love building houses and putting people in them. And it's like the adult version of Dollhouse. A world you can control. <laughs> Exactly. I'm a control freak. Love it. <laughs> Roman, what about you is the one thing nobody expects? I think it's because I have a daughter that's five going on 15, but I'm starting to develop a taste in like pop music. 
<laughs> oh my god! It's kind of, uh, it's kind of freaking me out that I think. Give Dua us some Lipa... names. Are you an Olivia Rodrigo fan, or where are you? Where are you plugging? I don't in know what face? that is, but uh, Dua Lipa for sure. Oh, uh, Dua Lipa. How about Ariana Grande? I've heard of her. Oh, if she yeah. shows up on, uh, I'm gonna buy my daughter a CD player. I've decided, and like, Old so school. I can force her to listen to like my rock CDs. <laughs> oh god! But uh, yeah, there's a. I'm I'm a begrudging appreciation for pop music. All right, good, good, good. Okay, recommend a book or a movie with characters you relate to. I'm tempted to challenge you to have it not be comic book based. But... It won't. Okay, so I've said this a few times, and I will say it again proudly. And it's not Warrior. Never have I ever on Netflix. Um, it is two seasons. Mindy Kalik produces it. Season one, at least, is the most definitive articulation of the Indian American experience. Season mm. two is just like a funny teen drama, which I literally just finished before we hit record. Uh, it is a show that has so much heart and so much universality to it. And it's a little bit of what we try to do with this show. Like now that it's just kind of at teenage problems, it's like even though there's an Indian person and a half black gay person and an Asian person, blah, 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 blah. And the Asian boy interest is like super, super hot, by the way. Um, it's like unreal how hot this guy is. And it's a running joke how hot uh, he at Paxton is. <laughs> it's a show that really communicates that other experience. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, how we've all got the same shit going on in our lives. It's truly a masterful piece of storytelling. And I love it. Sharon, book or a movie? Mine is way less intellectual and meaningful. I've been binge watching a show called The Bold Type, which is on Hulu. Hmm. And it's about three young women in their early 20s in New York City working for a big magazine, kind of like Cosmo, but it's called Scarlet Magazine. And it's just about their friendship and how they are coming up in the corporate world together and trying to figure things out with dating and love lives and sexual identity and a whole bunch of other stuff. And it just, it really reminds me of myself in my early twenties and the the types of girlfriends that I had back then. And, and also makes me very nostalgic because I feel like my life has totally changed <laughs> since that phase of my life. So it's just a lot of fun and it's not a very big show. I forgot what the original station it was on, but it's on Hulu now and you guys can watch it, the bold type. All right. Well, speaking of nostalgia, Sharon, where's one place you want to go back to or you want to spend more time? Oh, that's a great question. I would I would love to take my kids to Hong Kong, which is where my mom grew up. We haven't had a chance to make it out there yet. And I think it'd be really cool to just kind of show them and to go with her too while she's still young enough to travel with us and just to kind of have her take us around the night markets and to have dim sum in all of those places. I think that'd be really fun. Roman? Uh, maybe it's the pandemic speaking, but I miss going home. Um, I haven't been back to Alabama for almost two years. And even more than that, it's typically like a, a long weekend or maybe a Christmas. Like, it's impossible. Maybe that's why it's so appealing. But to go spend some serious time, like, I mean, we live in this world where we can work remotely. Unfortunately, my spouse can't. She's a scientist. But to go just spend some time and be with my parents for a longer amount of time that's not just this transactional three days sort of thing and letting my kids experience that too like where i grew up and again in a more deeply meaningful way um i don't miss growing up in the south but that familiarity but it's hard to get that home back but it'd be fun if i can wave a magic wand and do that Mm. 
All right. Since we talked about it earlier, what is your favorite mum dish? My mom's chana patura, which is uh, spicy chickpeas and like a baked fried flatbread. I don't know if I've told this story, but my late uncle, when he was getting some surgery for a cancer treatment in New Orleans, it was also his favorite dish. And my mom makes it superbly. And so my mom brought like a frying pan and oil and like a hot plate to the hotel room and like made it for him because we weren't sure if he's going to survive the surgery. He did. He lived a few more years and like smelled up the whole hotel of like (laughs) fried oil and Indian food. That's beautiful. It's the shit, man. That dish is so good. And my mom doesn't even always feel up to making it on these like long three day weekends when we go back. Um, But yeah, my mom's trying to patura for sure. Yes, please. I'll take some. (laughs) I want some too. Sharon, what's yours? My mom... I loved her. This is like so not Asian at all. I kind of wanted to like think of like a classic Chinese dish, but I loved her shake and bake chicken. Mm, (laughs) Awesome. With her hungry man instant mashed potatoes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, now you're speaking my language. Yeah, right. right? Like like, there's such a, just a classic feel good kind of meal out of boxes. Yeah, Yeah. Really good. Oh, yeah. My mom was all about like, you know, I don't know. We're probably near the same age. I don't know. But my mom was all about like every processed, every (laughs) convenience food, like carnation, instant breakfast, shake and bake, rice-a-roni. That was totally my mom. And I always thought it was because she like wanted to Americanize us, you know? So (laughs) she like wanted us to know what like the mainstream was experiencing. I love it. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, no, no. She was just really busy. (laughs) She was tired. Tired of shit. Yeah, man. Like she's like forget it. Yeah, like let me mix these potatoes for two minutes, and that's going to be oh hell yeah. If I was my single mom in the seventies, I'd be like, you're going to save me time and make this stuff like make itself. Absolutely, (laughs) exactly. All right. Well, this has been a great, great privilege. Thank you both for giving me the honor of being able to interview you for your hundredth episode. The very last question: What does being a modern minority mean to you? Oh, I love this question. Being a modern minority means being able to take all of the experiences that you've had up to date and create an experience so that the people that follow you can learn from that. And I think that's exactly what we're attempting to do with this platform of ours. Hmm. Uh, Responsibility. I hate to put this on us, but one, there's not just the example that you're setting for the non-minority people. Uh, It's the example you're setting for those of us that look like us or those of us that can't speak up as much. And then it's really about generating empathy. It's trying to get other people. You're probably the token minority friend in your group of friends, or if you're not, you need to have friends that don't look like you and trying to express the world that you're living and try to understand and express the world that other people are living. Like it's responsibility. We have to do it. If we don't do it, it's not going to change. So, um, and you just should just listen to this podcast and buy a bunch of stickers. So yeah, that's <laughs> Love it. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Roman. Thanks for making it to 100. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. 
I remember going to college telling myself, why does every time we pop up on screen, it's either as a waiter, a servant, a martial artist. I have nothing against martial artists, but when you see it over and over again, you grow tired of it. Always some other, right? The professional foreigner or even invisible, right? Even though you're on screen, you're invisible because you're just a prop. You're not serving the story. The story does not revolve around an Asian family or a protagonist in Hollywood mainstream. And I just thought, man, why aren't there more Asian Americans working in Hollywood and being three-dimensional, fully realized characters who are just part of the fabric of America? That's it for now. I've been Raman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.